0: The ukulele with you. Podcast. All right, so we got Joel Blessinger, he's the head of our setup team, and Zach, customer service specialist, and um, me. And we're going to talk to you guys today a little bit about what you can do to your ukuleles that you haven't gotten from us or you know um how you can help other people maybe a little bit uh and you know everything that we share with you is going to you know be something that you kind of have to be handy with things a little bit feel comfortable with them and know that we're not going to be responsible for anything that goes bad (laughs) We're just trying to help you out a little just bit. Trying
1: to help you out. Don't come back at us if Whoa. you screwed it up. Would you? Would you call
0: these tips and tricks? Tips
1: and tricks. Oh, LOL, there, LOL. By JB. There's the title. JB's tips and
0: Tricks. <laughs> say it again. <laughs> JB's <laughs> tip tips thing. and tricks. All right. So JB's. What, what what kind of stuff are we gonna talk about today?
1: The biggest thing is, uh, like, there's a lot of people who email. Some people have emailed asking if they can get send something over here to get set up. It's really that they didn't get from us. It's really not cost-effective to ship things over here. So, if you don't have anyone where you live that can do it, or you just want to give it a shot on your own, some people have cheaper ones, like the first use that they got. They don't play as great as the ones that they get from us. But <laughs> like it's basically a, it's a factory set up, or maybe like you got you inherited one from someone else, or you you know you picked one up secondhand, but you wanted to get it to play more comfortably. There's a few things, easy things you can do. It's, I mean, it takes a little bit of know-how, but it's not that hard to at least make some pretty decent improvements.
0: Okay, um, so what's the what's the number one issue? It'll be um, the action being higher, it's yeah, uncomfortable to play? It's going to be the
1: biggest impact. The <clears throat> how hard you have to press the strings down is going to affect how easy it is to play and be able to make chords and just make it more pleasant to to play with and everything. So that usually hinges on the two points that are gonna determine how high the strings are at the saddle and at the nut. So in order to lower that, you're basically lowering the nut slots and lowering the saddle slot, or lowering, sorry, lowering the saddle itself. Show,
0: show, point, point to the nut and the saddle, exactly. This,
1: up here at the top by the headstock is the nut. The saddle is what sits inside of the bridge. So the saddle is the other piece either plastic, or bone, or whatever the material used is. So um, taking that out, sanding the bottom of it, is how you lower it. that. And then usually you would use special nut files in the grooves where the strings sit to lower those, and that will decrease the amount of pressure you need playing those first few frets, it makes a big difference. And also, um, That can be a big thing that affects intonation too, especially on those first few frets. The higher it sits and the more you have to press down, all that pressure is kind of creating like a little bit of a bend to the note every time you um, have to press down on it. So having it at the right level will also improve the intonation on the lower frets. If you have a way of measuring it, that will help to at least give you a starting point to see how far you have gone or need to go when you're making the changes. but it's again it's not necessary you can just go slowly and do it by feel if you want but you'll need to if you want to take a measurement you can take a measurement either using if you want to go out and get an action card something like this from Stumac or if you want to use a ruler but taking the measurement from the top of the 12th fret to the bottom of the string that'll give you the the height right there and then also you can take another measurement up by the nut to give you a reference point what we usually shoot for is between two and a half to three millimeters but 2.65 is probably a good place to aim for and you don't have to worry so much about fret buzzing issues and a little bit of a higher action is still gonna give you pretty good tone and sustain. The lower you go, you run into a few more issues. But if you really need to play comfortably, if you have hand or arthritis or something like that, then being lower might be what you need. But after you take your measurement and you wanna go ahead and make the changes, you can start on either the saddle or the nut. I find if you lower the saddle first, then you probably won't over low and lower the nut slots when it comes time to do it just because it's easy to take this in and out and lower it and then from there you can kind of base where the strings are laying for how far you'd want to take the nut slots down but at the same time plenty of people start on the other end and base how high they set the saddle after you get the nut slot dialed in because most of the time people are playing right up here so really this is kind of the money zone of where you want to to be most comfortable initially and then you can kind of worry about how you want it to feel up the neck if you play up there if you don't and it's comfortable down here you might want to leave it a little bit higher because then you get the benefits of having a little bit of better sustain and can get some more tone and everything so it kind of just is based around your playing style so after loosening the strings you can go ahead and pull the and taking your measurement but then loosening the strings you can this is a drop drop-in saddle, some of them just slide right out. So if that's the case, you can just loosen the strings and it should slide out easily. But once you have this, you can lower it basically by creating a sanding block. I don't have one here. I mean, they sell the self-adhesive sandpaper where you could just take a flat, you can even use a table if it's flat, stick it on there for illustration. Just to say this is a table and you're basically gonna make, you can make a mark on there about how much you wanna take it down, or you can just do it slowly, drop it back in, check the height again. You know, that's that's the safest way to do it other than thinking um, you're not taking off as much as you are and then you drop it in and it's too low and then it's that, more work to get it back to where you need it to be. So going slower and being methodical about it is gonna be the best way to save yourself more work later. But just keeping an even pressure, holding it right in the middle so you're not leaning on one side or one side or the other. So the pressure is going straight down. And then you know, you just go back like this. You check in the bottom to make sure that the bottom's flat while you're sanding it. And then you basically just do that. <laughs> don't use <Stop>. your leg. <laughs> Again. Yeah, don't use your leg. Use but uh either as a block, something heavy, or use a table if you have the adhesive one, or you can just take some regular yeah. sandpaper, cut it. A piece of glass, a lot of times it's
0: a nice flat surface. For mica like, uh, something and like I that. And I like to score, I've seen you do it before too, but if you take like a pencil and then you kind of rest it at the edge of your finger, you can kind of score a line along the bottom to where you can make sure you, you're looking at it, you're looking at that line and making sure you're not seeing that you're taking unevenly more from one side or the other. So that, that's one side of, of staying even with that. Then the other thing is staying even from the bottom. You can kind of peer at it and make sure that that bottom is, is flat and not, doesn't have like you know, a slight angle to it.
1: Yeah, like if the bottom, especially if you have a pickup that ha, or, um, an instrument that has a pickup in it, then you need to make sure that the bottom of the saddle is flat. Because if it's crooked like that, imagine this is the bottom of the saddle. If it's, if it's crooked like that, and then this is where the pickup is laying and the pressure is initially going right here, you're not gonna get a full sound. So if you can flatten it out and it's gonna sit on the element flush, that's what's gonna communicate all the vibrations into the pickup. So that's something you need to be aware of with that. You could get away with it if it doesn't, but it's still better to keep your pressure even and that'll help you. So it's basically not wobbling this way or this way. You just want an even pressure down and keep that consistent as you're doing it. Like I said, you can just like rest a pencil on the edge of this, drag it across, and then that'll give you an idea of how quickly you're sanding through and that'll let you know how quick how, you know, if you need to go through a lot. You can go harder and not worry about taking off too much. So, assuming you did that already,
0: Like Joel was saying, um, going slow. It's always easier to take it back out and lower it a little bit more than having to go through the process of making a shim that's going to fit in there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, you can make a shim. A lot of people don't, really don't like the idea of using a shim. Even though, sometimes even from the factory, they come with shims under them. And I don't think, I still like to see someone do just like a blind... Double I blind test. Think, yeah, if anyone could even really notice the difference. Tone. Yeah. But <laughs> from, I mean, wait, what do you mean from having a shim? Say, you, say you take this, and then I put a shim, a shim under it, and
0: then Someone's, you're not
1: looking at it, and just have someone else play a chord, like, play a song. If it's wood, or <laughs> if
0: it's wood fiber, or if it's something yeah. similar to the material of the saddle, or you know, any of the proper materials,
1: you just want something hard and the same size
0: yeah. as. The saddle bottom
1: so that it's going to just make full contact. Make full contact. That's it. You should be fine. For the nut slots, if you don't have a nut file, a specialized nut file, which you can also get from Stumac or any luthier place, there is another way to do it. Again, with sandpaper. and Basically, it's just folding it to the right thickness for the slot you need to. And you're basically aiming for the same thickness of the string that you're sanding the slot for. It may not always be the same size as the existing factory-made slot. A lot of times, it's narrower. Or if you're changing strings and you're going from a really thin string to a really thick string, and they're not fitting in the slots, then you need to widen the slots.
2: So someone going from high G to, low, if they wanted to experience low G, mm-hmm. but they never got it properly.
0: Yeah, but you know we get that question a lot, and. For those wound low Gs, you don't need to. If you're going from a plain high G to a plain low G fluorocarbon, then yeah, then yeah. You, you can use this process.
2: But is it not a problem um, having a smaller string fit in a bigger space? If I mean, is, does it get to a point where it's too much room?
1: Usually you can get away with it as long as you have a good, like the break angle coming up where the strings pass over the nut and go down. If it's too level like that, where it's just barely like, the more backwards pressure it has coming off of it, the more it's gonna stabilize the string. So you could have a string that's pretty small in the nut, but if that nut slot was cut at the right angle, you can get away with it. But still yet, sometimes, yeah, it is an issue, in which case you would be refilling the nut slot and recutting it. I see. But um, this also works good too, like some people, if you've worn some like edges into your nut slots, or you're like, you're getting strings breaking a lot and you kind of feel in there and there's like a little burr or just a sharp spot, you can take some high grit sandpaper that's not really gonna cut into it a lot, and just fold it up and just run it through the slot a few times and it just kind of smooths it out. And sometimes even just chatter will be there from the the wound strings as they just slowly kind of go back over it as you're tuning it up. Same thing that can kind of happen on the saddle and that'll remove a lot of that but for the for the height it's basically just um you could use like a 320 would be fine and that way you won't be going too quick um fold fold it up and kind of compare you know the thickness that you're folding it up to with the thickness of the string that you're going to cut and then just like in the setup video where we kind of explained you want to follow the angle of the headstock the break angle that the strings are going to make on their way to the tuners and i mean just make it easier the bigger it is the better of a file you're gonna have because then you don't have to do so much work it'll be a little bit longer so let's say that's it and you can use that like you would a fret file and then you put the string back on and you can check it the way we do it isn't necessarily by specific measurements because sometimes the neck angles aren't ideal. So going different by different fret f- heights, yeah, different fret heights. Some are really small, some are more like jumbo frets, you know, stuff like that. So a general, you know, good rule of thumb is if you fret it on the third fret, look how high the string is over the first fret, and if you still have a little bit of room, but it's not touching, that's generally about as low as you're going to get. You don't want it touch laying on that fret. Probably means you're gonna get some buzzing, like when the you're playing open, because that's gonna be the widest vibration for the string. Is when you're playing open, and you're gonna be more likely to getting fret buzz and stuff like that. And you're gonna have to go through filling it and recutting it and all that. But same thing, going slow, you know, pop it out, sand it a little bit, put the string back in, check it. It doesn't have to be totally slack like this. You can keep it at tension or just below tension, and take it out, and check it, and put it back in, and then play it and everything. So going slow and steady is definitely going to save you the most time in the long run and after you have all that if you do get it pretty low or there are some neck or fret issues some frets are unlevel, and you need to fret dress it you can also make a impromptu the files can be kind of expensive so if you want to make an impromptu file you just get a, a flat check to see if you have a radius or a non-radius fretboard chances are it's not going to have a radius on it but getting a flat sanding block, getting the sandpaper, if you don't, if it's not sticky, get some little bit of spray adhesive, attach it on flush to the sanding block, and you can use that as a fret file. And like in our setup video, we kind of go into the whole technique behind that. Cause it is kind of, there's a few different things that you do to work out certain spots and make sure everything is covered and how to tell when all the frets have been hit and how to kind of feather it back so that you cover all the spots and have it set up so to reduce them buzzing or totally get rid of it as much as you possibly can. And if don't you just have to start go out
0: lightly across the, the whole thing. I mean, this might be redundant for what our setup video talks about, but if, if, if you go across the whole thing with the sandpaper block like that, then mm-hmm. um, you want to see it hitting all of the frets and the ones that, it's not hitting, um, you, you're going to have to keep going. Those are probably, um, going to be the problem areas cause they're lower and then some you'll notice that you're hitting a lot more. So if you're doing this because you know, you lowered your action and then you have buzzing, that's normal. I mean, that's why, I mean, when I do setups almost always am I doing at least a light fret dress. Um, because, A lot of manufacturers, I think, are planning and and setting them up more to be about three to three and a half millimeters or so, typical measurements of of stuff coming out of the box. So um, you lower it down a good millimeter or something like that, then, you you know, chances are there's slight unevenness that even if it is like a really great company that's doing quality control and stuff they haven't quality control it at that nice buttery low action that you just set your uke up to have, you know? So, um, you got to make sure those frets are absolutely perfect. Now, once you notice you're hitting them all, you feather back, like Joel said, to um, create a little bit more clearance, um, from the middle frets to the first frets and then back to the, um, where it's getting closer to the body joint there to make sure that you're giving a little more clearance to those than the middle frets and so um, Doing that You should you should be good to go.
1: hmm Yeah, if you do all that, then that's giving you a full a Full dress and making sure that there aren't any if everything is getting hit Then that means there aren't random frets that are higher than the rest because then in that case you would see the ones right next to it not getting hit by the file because they're sitting shorter than it so they're kind of like they're going to be hidden because the, as long as you have a nice straight file or or a sanding block then you'll be able to see when certain ones are not getting hit and others are and once you've done all that you can take the same sandpaper like 320 or 400 600 if you want it to look a lot nicer depending on how much dressing you've done but you can just take it and i just simply wrap it around my finger and you can kind of use the flesh of your finger a little bit when you get towards the edges because the edges might be a little sharp and have a little bit of lip where it rounds back but then you're basically just
0: recrowning them with your finger i re- mean it's kind of the all of this stuff is the ghetto version of what we're yeah, doing I at mean, this point but i mean I, there's a know. full
1: bench full of tools and everything down there but if you don't want to go and spend you know more than a several new instruments would cost to get a whole giant setup <laughs> You can do it like this. I've done it for people when I've been on trips, and they want it set up. I don't have my tools. I can just go spend, you know, 15, maybe 20 bucks at a hardware store, get everything you need. and Is and this all part it. of
2: um, lowering the action, uh, filing the frets as well? Like Yeah. So saddle first, nut slots, frets. or I,
0: I like to do nut slots first.
2: He goes nut first. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> <But, laughs> Well, so I mean, it doesn't really you know, matter. It, it,
0: it depends. If your nut slots are really high, it can make a big difference.
2: <sighs> yeah. It if can, it's
1: obvious, like these are going to have to go down a lot. Yeah. Then you can take it get them, most
0: of the way, you know, yeah. it, if you're going to lower your saddle too, give yourself a little room so you don't go just perfect at your nut slots and then you lower your saddle and then you're too low at your nut slots. But you know, um, you have to factor that in if you're going to lower your saddle first, because you can take down as much as half a millimeter, sometimes even more at your 12th, if it's really high at the nut and, A lot of cheap ukes are just i mean you know even sometimes not cheap ukes are just way too high so you can go ahead and get most of that where it's going to be take your measurement again get a better idea of how far you're going to go down on your saddle joel's got his process to where he's already factoring all these things but
1: yeah yeah. i didn't think about it like when we're doing it we've done it so much i can already kind of know what one's going to look like when i'm done with the other but not knowing that definitely like you should be going back and forth between the two, or you probably will. Just if you're going methodically, don't take it. Cause if you take this down to like the lowest point, you check you're like, okay, sweet. I got it at 2.5 millimeters. And then you realize you got to do the nut. It's not going to be 2.5 by the time you're done with it. And you're probably gonna have a whole bunch of buzzing issues. So just taking it down a significant amount to kind of get it in the area. Then you do the fine tuning and maybe even going back and forth if you need to, to find that, right balancing act of where it feels comfortable but then you have enough leeway so you don't run into all those extra buzzing problems and stuff that you can get from having everything set too low so going slow and doing one then the other and then checking and then making slow alterations as you need to
0: it's like a lot of times people will be in colder drier areas and then what happens is wood shrinks but metal doesn't, right? So the fret ends end up getting sharp over time. Um, I I mean, I know here we have like, you know, the 45 degree angle, we have quarter round files. We have a whole process for taking care of that beyond, um, getting a better humidifier and paying more attention to, uh, having better humidity. I mean, what would somebody use just, you know, I guess just sandpaper and getting it down?
1: If it's, if it's really sharp and also like say like you got a really just sharp angle on the frets like it's uh, not 90 degrees but you know like it's a lot square than it would be where maybe from the factory it didn't get rounded over as much crowned over as much as it should have you can you can do that with the file and then do the rest with sandpaper if it's just a little bit of sharpness like you had it good to go before and then through weather you know our climate the wood has shrunk up and it's kind of exposing the ends a little bit more and maybe Shrunk down so that the very edges of the tongue of the frets, you know, it's sharp because it's flat. It's supposed to meet flush with it, so there's going to be an edge there, and you can kind of get caught on those. You can take care of that with a uh, with sandpaper too. For if it's if it's just a sharp edge in general, you can use your sanding block, and just to protect the finish, like the binding around it, you can just take some tape and you know tape off everything that's not the frets. So say you tape it off like that, then you can use your sanding block and just, just slowly sand and kind of rock it a little bit. Rock it over to give it that little bit of a curve and then also make sure
0: that it's, That's it's flush the wood, at the edge. With the wood block or with, you know, whatever mm-hmm. your material of a hard material.
1: Yeah, the hard, the hard backed material with sandpaper so you can get a grip on it. It's got a little bit of weight but, um, and I, I recommend doing that with a lighter sandpaper so that, you know, you're not going to eat the tape gives you a good way of knowing when to stop because you, you're going to go through that before you get the finish. So as long as you're not totally jacking and eating up the tape, then you'll be fine underneath, but that'll give you a good way to kind of round them over and reduce that initial clipping that you can kind of get playing it. And then for the fret, it's everywhere else you can do the same thing Uh, was when we do the crowning process putting it around your finger and then using the fleshy tip of your finger to kind of curl over the edge like that and putting pressure in that last digit of your finger so that it it's going to kind of skip because your finger is malleable and it's going to kind of fit in those pockets then after that you know and you do your dressing replenishing the moisture in the fretboard whether it is you know using a steel steel wool yeah use the steel wool and then using like a a lemon oil or some other type of fretboard conditioner i think they make certain ones specifically for really dehydrated fretboards that'll put in a lot of moisture and kind of help seal it in so in winter months or um, just wherever it's super dry that you can retain some of that moisture easier rather than it just escaping all over again you can get
0: pretty rough with the steel wool at the edge too you -hmm. know i mean I, I get the question sometimes of people just wanting to clean up their frets because, um, it's just naturally gets tarnished over time. If you get four Oh steel wool and, um, you don't have to tape off your fretboard or anything like that. It cleans the whole thing. It, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mm-hmm. mean, it can be a little bit messy and a little bit of an irritant. Um, so and it can cause forest fires you know. if you have a battery. Oh yeah. <laughs> or house fires.
2: Yeah. We'll be careful about that. Um,
0: but you know use a vacuum while you're doing all this stuff even while you're sanding your, your fretboard and stuff I like to vacuum off in between because if you take a sandpaper say you're doing four and then 600 you take your 600 without vacuuming your 400 it clogs that 600 um, really a lot quicker um, by just all that dust being there that's getting in it but um, then steel wool vacuum it up good And then like Joel was saying, the fretboard conditioner, you go to any guitar store, you know, any music online retailers, there's, there's tons of different options. And, you know, if they're made for wooden instruments, they're going to be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. And that'll also add a little bit
1: of a, you know, bring a really nice sheen to the wood and kind of clean the frets up even more after that and everything. And then. like the biggest thing is keeping that moisture in there. So and then after doing that, making sure you have a humidifier too so the instrument itself retains a lot of moisture because that's usually the first indication that it's not getting enough humidity. So if you see that start to happen, you need to make sure that, you know, do something to address that because the rest of the instrument is also probably not getting enough moisture and is getting dehydrated. So that's kind of like the warning sign before something bad happens like cracking a body
2: crack or something like that you know um before any of the frets are filed though sh- should uh should they cite their neck to know what they're working with
1: yeah if you know which sh- if you know what you're looking for like sighting the neck if you can tell um like what a bow neck looks like a back bow or relief and stuff i mean you can look up um diagrams and stuff that explain it but basically like a back bow means it's going to be concave concave and then a relief is gonna be convex so you can sight it some people some people cite it like this like kind of you would a piece of lumber see where the curve is going um, some people sight it from the body I cite it from up here I think it's easier so basically lining up using the edge of the fretboard as reference and you should be able to see if it's if it's straight or if it has curves, sometimes if it'll have a little bump. If you look really closely, you might even be able to see uh, certain frets that are sticking up higher than others. But it gives you a good. Uh, so what do you look for when you sight. when you
2: when you when you look down? Are you looking at like maybe the the nut slot to the saddle and that as a straight plane? Not 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 necessarily that because the
1: height of the nut slot in the saddle can be off. Uh-huh. So I'm basically just using the. The front, the edge of the fretboard itself and like that's the edge a straight, of
2: the neck. That's a straight line that you're looking for.
0: I yeah. Just, I just grabbed this you to see what it was, um, what I was exactly looking at. And I noticed I kind of like closed one eye. Oh, I, I do think. too. And yeah. then I'm, I'm, I've got in my, you know, one open eye, I've got the edge of this nut and then kind of like all the way down to the saddle. But like Joel was saying, what you're kind of keying in on is what's happening in right here. Mm-hmm. So you're going to either see like a little bit of a dip, a little bit of a dip is, is okay. It's a good thing. Um, you know, if it's, if it looks like a banana then it's not, but, um, a bigger problem that's going to require you to take a lot more fret and sometimes require you to have higher action than maybe you want is when you see the other thing, when you see it kind of dipping back towards, towards the nut, you you know, it's kind of. And, and it's kind of got a hump in this middle area. So that means, you know, if you see that before you start filing, you're going to be prepared to just go at this until you can just barely hit that first fret. Because for a while, you're going to be doing this all the way to the first fret. And if you've got a good flat block, you won't even be hitting the first fret. And that's, you know, what the because issue is. Because the middle is. is higher. Right, exactly. So, I mean, you know, like in a Pono, we can adjust the truss rod most don't have that um but uh you have to deal with the amount of fret you have sometimes you don't have very uh you know some of the frets are are pretty small too so there's a a bit of a play there and you know you might want to cite that and kind of think about it too before you try to get like ultra low action and realize what you're dealing with it's a good point because um You know, going into it, I was thinking like people aren't going to really know what to look for when they sight their neck. But I I think most most people could key in on it, you know, I mean, and you can sight from this side and from this side. Sometimes it's a little bit different, you know. I mean, um, wood instruments are going to vary, but um, hopefully you've got just a slight amount of curve there and you shouldn't have too much fret to take.
2: So anything convex is bad. Once you hit a certain, if you see any kind of hump, I mean, you should definitely get some work done. Probably Either, either way, it can be bad.
1: <laughs> convex is back bow. Concave is relief. Yes. So, yeah, either can be bad. If it is too concave, then you're going to wind up with, usually like right in the middle, uh, the action, the, the height of the strings is going to spike because it's dipping like that. And then playing these frets up here, you're going to wind up with buzzing, because the string is going to be hitting the frets, the higher frets, because they are sitting higher in that concave way. If it's convex and you're playing the frets down here, you're going to run into buzzing because the frets in the middle are going to be higher with that neck angle. So you need to target what you're working on based on eliminating the buzz, which will be filing down the frets that are in front of the frets that are playing, that are at the, the lower area. So that's when the feathering comes into play if the neck is kind of straight. You're basically feathering it back so the frets in sequence are gonna be just slightly lower than the ones before it, giving you the clearance. In the back bow case, I almost just start just on the middle frets. I'll turn the file sideways, just cause I know it's gonna, if you have a full length file or you do your sanding block, and you sit it here it could be like a little teeter totter where it's it's you know it's going to go both ways and if you don't keep that pressure totally in the middle you could be dipping forward and actually sanding into the front frets
2: yeah at the
0: i'm same always kind of leaning back in a way i mean i'm putting pressure towards the back always because um once you start digging down forward then you can definitely do that and yeah. and i you know with my um file that i'm using it's kind of like long enough mm-hmm. to where i wouldn't get to that point, but you're right. There's different length blocks and everything. Yeah. I think having it
1: like like a six inch block would probably be good. Yeah, five yeah. or six
0: inches. That's about good.
1: Um, but then
0: you, you, you got to make sure, you know, that you're if you're hitting a lot in the middle there, though. The just follow it up at the end of your fingerboard there, because you might take care of the buzzing at your first frets and then create buzzing at your last frets. Well, yeah,
1: if you're just wearing down the middle, you're basically just moving the problem over slightly. So that's when work on with a problem area and then do that okay. full sweep so that you can see, make sure everything has gotten hit. And then that last feathering motion is just kind of like the last little bit of insurance to make sure that they're all going to get clearance.
2: If someone has like a, say it's just only on one string, like there's just two frets that are buzzing. Is there something else before you get to like, I mean maybe, you know, like maybe it could just be a string or. Or something like that. Like, what's the first step for someone to like? They they realize that there's a buzz there, but it, but maybe it's just two frets. Mm-hmm. Like, and if they wanted to do something to check, like, what would the, what would the first step be? Change the string or yeah, that's that uh, would be my suggestion. First step, yeah, just because a single string can can cause inconsistencies. Yeah, and like, um, it doesn't necessarily like if
1: there's a problem with the string itself, it doesn't mean it's gonna buzz on every single fret, it could just be two or three or four. If you can get, if you get used to looking at the way the strings vibrate, so say like, look at the way the other strings that aren't buzzing vibrate. And usually it's going to be a really um, smooth. I think I can, I think I can illustrate. Whoa. Like a really uh, just stable motion. When it's out of balance, it's usually going to be something that looks more like this. Like it's 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 oscillating like it would, but at the same time, it's moving up and down at the same time. Rather, and then it creates a little a warble. good string
2: just stays right in the middle, spinning its way, and then slowly getting yeah.
1: It, then it'll kind of taper down and wind <clears throat> down. But when it's doing this weird jerky thing, where it's that's that's usually means it's unstable, it's unbalanced somewhere. There's like a little kink or a weak spot
0: and it'll rear its ugly head at the the worst most time weak, weak, weakest spot so when like, you are at your weakest that's <laughs> when it's <gonna laughs> well, <present>. there's, <laughs> there's going to be those certain areas where like it's just making clearance so the string has to act perfectly mm-hmm. so if it's only buzzing at a couple spots you know they would be borderline with a good string but still you're good you know right mm-hmm. so
2: if you change the string and say there's still that buzz there then it on could the just same be spot
0: like the third fret is just a little you know coming up at the edge right there Mm -hmm. and so the first and second are right before it you know and if everything else is fine
2: would you recommend just doing the frets or like still the saddle and all that if if
0: i mean
1: if everything's fine and you don't want to change the level of anything um you and you could get into dressing it because sometimes even like you know when they're putting the frets in it's not always even like So it looks like sometimes maybe they uh, they tapped one a little bit more than the other. So the fret is sitting lower in the middle of the fretboard. Or you know, there's the weird Mm -hmm. things too, where it's not necessarily planed, totally flat in every slot. cut. It's super common. It's
0: like if if you're hammering a fret into a fretboard, if you hit too hard in the middle, it seats it lower than you know you want. It's a real art to fretting and getting a nice even fret, and then you know. A lot of them aren't going over it with a fret dress after the fact. I mean, all of us that do fret dresses go over it and there's just like this clear, you know, yeah, area of certain frets that are, you know, lower or higher.
1: You see it like when you, when you do your first couple of passes with the file, you'll see the parts that are untouched by the sandpaper. And that's going to show that like those specific spots and it's going to be weird, random little spots you might get it where the street strings passing over and then up here you might get it where the A string or the E strings passing over and like all these little spots that aren't untouched because the frets aren't perfectly flat all the way through. So if that's the case, then yeah, I mean, you probably need to do some light dressing there focused in that area to make sure that everything is getting hit and then do the little feathering as you go back out. And then while you're already doing it, I mean, one, a couple passes across the whole fretboard, isn't gonna, um, hurt anything, but that'll give you an idea if maybe there's some other areas you want to take care of, or you can focus more on the one spot. If you don't want to bother with doing that, sometimes you can get away with just putting a shim under and having that extra height gives you enough clearance that the if it's right on that precipice where it may not be buzzing, if it were just a little bit higher, or the string tension if right. higher tension string was a little bit more, so it's not going to vibrate as much, you can get away with that.
0: Um, sometimes you can um, actually locate like this fret is coming unseated at the edge just a little bit and if you want to go at it yourself you know without taking it to a luthier because it's an inexpensive instrument or whatever you can take a little bit of um, glue and seat it down in there and um, I mean you can you can use super glue at the edge you just got to be careful don't you know, if you use thin super glue, it can go everywhere. Oh, it's re- like,
1: it's like a drop of water. It'll go quickly.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, but y- you know, it could, it could be that. So you don't want to go filing at your fret. If one is actually, you know, coming up full on coming up to where what you'll be able to tell, because you can press it down with your finger and mm-hmm. see movement of it, you know, sponging back up. Um, But that's, you know, that shouldn't be happening. That's not, Totally common, but you know, it it.
1: happens, but yeah, it's not as common as all the other issues.
0: A lot of times, you know, when people go to do this, they'll notice the nut pops off really easily. Most of these companies have just a tiny dot of, (laughs) well, there's, yeah, there's a tiny dot of super glue that because, um, you know, they don't, they don't want it like really hard to remove if you need to replace it for whatever reason. Yeah. We, we usually, um, like if, if one pops out like that on me while I'm working on it, I'll, I'll super glue it in, but just with a few dots, maybe mm-hmm. like two on each side and then one at the middle bottom or something like that. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know? Like, uh, I kind of, I just go right in between the strings. I do three tiny dots right there and then maybe one or two small dots at the bottom. That's and a careful,
0: you gotta be careful when you're putting it back on from that, that, that glue doesn't slop around and also that you get it perfectly centered. So, you know, you just real carefully you want to check on each side you can first feel it and then you're you're looking you're looking at where the strings are gonna line up to where like when it dries you don't have one edge kind of of a string that's gonna fall off the edge of the fretboard
1: yeah to it, take a look at I mean you can uh, whether you saw it before it came off or um it just came off accidentally like you can put it back in without any glue and kind of get it to line up you can put the strings back in the first and fourth position to make sure that they're spaced evenly off of the edge of the fretboard so you're not leaning to one side. And then just check to see, because sometimes the nut wasn't flush to begin with, like it's slightly larger than the width of Mm -hmm. the fingerboard, so it's gonna overhang on one edge over the other. Or sometimes it might be a little narrower,
0: but... It's most important to get your string alignment.
1: Yeah, the biggest thing is getting the string alignment, because that's gonna affect how it plays the most and if
0: you want you don't have to glue it in I yeah. mean, you know that the tension of the strings will hold it there it's just you know it seems like a lot of people would rather it be glued down
1: yeah and you can if you do that dot thing use a medium or above super glue because thin is going to just be too much you just want a little bit or what you can do if you already have it in like that you can just kind of lean it back slightly once you already have it lined up put the little spout of glue right there and give it a little touch let it dry. And then if you have something to clean up the glue, like a solvent or, um, you can get to it right away with something. But the the easiest way is just to do a couple dabs and then
0: just put your finger stick right it there.
1: on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh crap. It's like when someone tells you to put your finger down, tie in a bow and then you just, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like a lot of classical guys don't even put glue on there. Right.
0: Yeah. They just no. I mean, it's, it's not, on. it's not. Yeah. I mean the
2: pressure totally of the string is going to hold it. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people may feel like it's uncomfortable, but I mean, I guess getting a measurement would be the first ideal thing to do and doing it correctly, knowing what you're actually have as far as action height. Um, but you said Stu Mac has that action card. Yeah. So this action card, I mean,
1: I think there's a metric and a standard version of it, but -hmm. it has a few different ways you can measure it. The benefit of having it longer like this, is that you can sit it across several frets, so you're not gonna have like, you know, like one small ruler can weeble and wobble right there, and you're not gonna get the most accurate reading when you're dealing with fractions of millimeters. But when it's spread out all across, you can get a very level,
0: accurate measurement. As far as what Zach was was asking, as far as like numbers, I don't know, did you mention? But We said 2.5
2: to 3 is what we shoot for, but as far as if someone um, thought the action was too high and they measured it correctly and it said 2.5 are you going to still would you still recommend going lower than that
1: i mean it's up to them like right, if so- you play really soft it depends on how you play too right. if you play really soft or the strings that you use you know some people like high tension strings but they want to to play really gently
0: you sometimes, can get away with yeah, it sometimes with with kids learning or sometimes with older people where their joints or you know not maybe not even older people if you have like you know some form of arthritis or anything in that regard you might want to put more precedent to the comfort of it so you can play longer than necessarily your tone because like he was saying if you leave it a little bit higher you do um have a better chance of uh, good sustain and good volume and all those kind of things start diminishing slightly as you come down and, and it is a personal thing because, um, uh, y- you know, one person's preference is is different from another. And, you know, sometimes um, even great players like really low action and they know they can kind of be graceful with it and and uh, they have less to worry about in, in that regard because they can kind of finesse it. And a lot of times they're plugging in and that allows them to get more volume and stuff. Mm-hmm. So all kinds of factors as far as how low you could go. But one of the biggest ones being the instrument you're dealing with. So, you know, like with a Pono tenor, like with what you're holding right now, I mean, when I'm setting them up, if somebody wants super low action, I can, I can get it down to two millimeters really. And still, um, it, it'll be okay. You know, because of the truss run, um, partially because yeah. you, the, you can really fine tune the curvature. I mean, on a really high end instrument that's set just perfectly, um, I can get the same thing going because the curvature is right there mm-hmm. as well. But, um, uh, it's something that I haven't been able, at least for my moderate playing style, I don't think you can get much lower than two millimeters without there being buzzing and that buzzing doesn't bother some people. But, yeah. I you know. mean,
1: I, it happens on my instruments at home because sometimes I like... It a little bit lower and everything and it doesn't bother me but at the same time yeah you I mean you need to know you're playing a style or what you want to get out of it if you main objective is just to have it comfortable so you're not getting so frustrated just trying to hold chords and you, even if like you're still learning or you're gonna get set it up and give it to someone else for them to learn it on
0: um, what other little things you can with the open back tuners like that if you're feeling it's like not smooth mm. you can um, get a little bit of, of oil um, I don't know. I mean, we get the oil from uh, Stu Mac or you know, yeah. But um, but you can get it probably anywhere, right?
1: Like a hardware store. Even I've seen it at Walmart because uh, it's for like sewing. There's all the little parts and sewing machines. Even in the sewing mm-hmm. section, they have. It's like it looks like a like the size of a marker, and it has that little spout. Right. So you it can get
0: it really precise inside all of the gears, um, kind of right where the post and the gear connect. You get it in, and then you you know, give it a full
2: yeah, kind round. Of
1: work it in there a little bit. Yeah. If there's some excess, you can kind of wipe it. But What about that, WD-40?
2: No, mm. I'm just, I'm just thinking like, I've had that thought in my head. Anything you could,
1: I probably wouldn't spray it right in it. If anything, like spray a little puddle of it and get something else and then put it in there. Uh, Cause you don't want to just get it all over the finish and all over everything and have slippery gears and all that. But, um, I think, I mean, I think WD-40 makes a thicker, a thicker one because if it's too thin it's probably just gonna run, run all over the place you want it to sit in there so like a machine oil for uh like padlocks or like specifically i mean you can order one from stumac it's six or seven bucks i think and it's convenient it'll last you a life forever
0: <laughs> i um, mean if you're not doing this every day like us it's...
1: i mean even though doing it every day it lasts me a long time yeah, yeah like yeah. months so because you don't need a dab will do you you don't need a lot <laughs>
0: Yeah, if you put too much, it just ends up running. Yeah,
1: and you gotta wipe it up, and then it smells like um it smells like artificial banana candy. Hmm.
2: hmm. Good. Positive. <laughs> you're using a blue tape there, but is there any tape that they should stay away from to hold their strings, or any time you, you're putting tape on wood, even what? some types of blue tape, you should stay away from it.
1: Uh, like the the tape will usually say um, using painters tape. There's different release times, so some are like stronger to hold up like, you know, plastic and stuff. And that's gonna have a harsher adhesive on it. Some are like a delicate, like 60 or 90 day release. Those are usually good for the most part. Um, But again, like specifically for instruments, Stumac also sells, or other luthier places sell a very low tack adhesive tape that you can even use on a really delicate finishes without worrying about taking anything up. Because randomly it has happened sometimes
2: use that very rarely rarely, but the macalas or something
1: yeah the ones that have a little decal sticker here rather than something that's finished over tape will take it off so don't put it on that (laughs) if anything like you couldn't even get away with taking the strings folding them back here and then just kind of taping them to the back of the headstock i even take a business card cut the business card in half and use that as a string holder It'll fit inside here, and the edges will go under the sound hole, and it just kind of pinches the strings over. So,
2: ooh, do we have that ruler where um where you put it down? Because that'd be a good way. If you can't sight it right, you can see if there is a dip or if that if the, if you if you have something long enough, a long ruler. I mean, is that a good way of also knowing what your neck angle is like?
1: Yeah, you could. It's um it'll definitely tell you if it's yeah. I mean, because if it's if there's wherever there's going to be gaps that either means if there's a gap towards the first few frets that usually means that it's got some kind of back bow right where it's backing like that if it's got a big gap in the middle that usually means you've got a lot of relief but it, the relief is also coming back up
2: at the end so you have that because I, I think concave. like as far as the customers or people trying to attempt to actually do some work to it it's just mm-hmm. like they need to have like you know checkpoints of like knowing i'm not going to harm my instrument right so like they should just know the
0: well no if if that's your position then take it to a luthier yeah this is only if this is like for people that um like to do do handyman type stuff or if you so this is for the brave handy woman. if you just if you really want to get into it you're curious if
1: you have one that you just you got secondhand or somewhere else and it's frustrating enough but not worth it to go pay for a full setup yeah then that but if you 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 really care about it and it's your first shot i don't know i would be nervous I probably would at least want someone to help walk me through it in person. But
0: yeah, well, yeah. If it's if it's kind of more expensive, just realize that you can
2: you can you really can you can up. do yeah you can do <laughs> stuff
0: that could devalue it. You know, this is like a lot of times like customers will start out with an inexpensive instrument and end up lo- you know loving the uke and then they get into it and stuff and. At some point they're like i want to give this cheaper uke to this kid that's going to start playing or something but at by that point you know they've been dealing with us or they've gotten to know better instruments and they're like oh this could be like a lot better just little projects like that mm-hmm. you know um or you know some people that that just have a uke already given to them that can't afford to get something nicer and just want to make some improvements to it these are things but i didn't you know i don't want to get too far into like having people check this and check that and stuff like that this is this is stuff for people that like have problems don't like try to look for issues if you're not having any yeah. i know but if they but like they have it, to know the like
2: problem a- though right like um, they have to understand the problem properly before you attack the-
0: right so i mean the problem is going to be stuff like my action is too high or i'm getting a fret buzz or those sort of things and i mean at that point um determining exactly how you're going to go about fixing it. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, I just fear that people aren't going to be able to fully understand what um, they're checking for. If they're, you know, lining up like rulers along right, right, it and right, stuff right. like that. If you go through those steps to, um, dress your frets, you should be good. It's going to naturally show you where it's higher and lower and, um, you should be able to work out most of the issues that it has. And, um, hopefully, you know, give you something at at the very least feels a little bit better and plays a little bit better than what you were dealing with before,
1: yeah, I mean, even a moderate change makes a big difference. I mean, you're dealing with fractions of millimeters and string height and everything, but you'd be amazed at how much like
2: a quarter of a millimeter makes. you can tell on just a saddle, yeah, it's i mean. And sometimes that's all that's all it needs like just to make it the the difference from like oh it's a little bit tough and then yeah or even like the nut slots like you're it's such a small
1: measurement of how much you're actually taking it down but it makes a big difference on how
0: comfortable it is right nut slots is the biggest yeah that's the you biggest know? thing
1: you can kind of deal with it up here it's annoying but i mean and it's simple can, and it's easy but, you know yeah for
0: me for the most part it's easier if you have nut files than using the sandpaper but you know if you're just going to do it on one instrument, you're not going to want to go buy a file specifically for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you buy one file and it costs as much as
0: yeah, going to get the setup. Maybe. In- yeah. The or thing, going like to luthier,
1: just be wary of like when you're working on it, keeping a good grip yeah. on your instruments. Okay. So that uh, you don't drop anything on it, or um, like if you're working on the nut, having something to protect the finish of the headstock. I cut of. I cut a like a business card to slip under there as a mm-hmm. little protector for the file so i don't accidentally go too far and and uh, scratch up the use protectors stuff.
0: on the body for that you know mm-hmm. the end of the fingerboard there the tongue as you're sliding over it with your finger and getting the the crown back on the um, frets after you've flattened them it's easy for that sandpaper to swipe the body and then you end yeah. up with scratches mm-hmm. you can put down something protective I mean, we have like this certain tape that we use, but you can just take pieces of paper, kind of cut them, um, and then tape them on the body to where like they're there protecting it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Stuff like that.
1: Cool. And then you're good to go. You can come take my job from me.
0: <laughs> Joel, did you uh, watch the last Radio Lab podcast on trees?
1: I don't listen to Radio Lab. Oh i mean
0: i used to i just it's so amazing like um how they communicate or something yeah exactly it's um it's something that i had heard a little bit about but i didn't realize like the how how far it went with its relationship with the fungus at the um the whole understory of the forest is like something they're just kind of now discovering how important that is to it like um, I think it was maybe like about the size of a flower that a tree would get if it didn't have the fungus and um it's it's kind of amazing because when a seed goes into the ground and then sprouts roots its roots send signals that the fungus picks up and it comes to it finds it, it. yeah and then the roots cellular wall softens so that they can um, attach to it. And then they start this symbiotic relationship where the tree gives it the carbon or like what's sugar to like plants and fungus, you know? And then this fungus finds it like actually mines the minerals that the tree needs. And it even hunts um, in the way that like it will like kill little insects and take the nitrogen from them for it. Or like carcasses like they found um, a lot of fish um, that were eaten by bears it would take the fish uh, carcass basically break it down and then in trees nearby or even you know all in the surrounding area where like up to 75% of its nitrogen was from salmon <laughs> and and they have this whole relationship going to where like it even goes beyond that because um they'll send signals to other trees like if a beetle is infesting or you know has gotten to one tree it sends these signals out to where all the surrounding trees um can produce this chemical that makes them like bad tasting i Mm -hmm. guess so the whole like ecosystem there is like so much more intelligent than we you know we think like a tree is just it's it's its own thing but it's actually acting as this whole um or orga- organism organism uh,
1: they did they did something else where like you said where it alerts it when there's beetles eating it they took just the audio recording of caterpillars eating this type of plant and they just with speakers they just played it and just the sound of the caterpillar eating the plant started producing the chemicals to that repel caterpillars
0: yes just from hearing it plants are actually they have like some they communication well, so I what mean, does that
2: do to vegans huh what do you mean like the vegan like that's a life form. for oh, life. Man,
0: man. well i mean you gotta factor that it takes like something like 70 times more vegetation when you eat meat because the animals are fed vegetation before they're slaughtered and eaten so it's not like that's some sort of like, if I eat an animal, then I'm not hurting a plant. I mean, it takes a whole lot more plants to feed the animal before you kill it. Oh, and no, but um, or
2: just like chopping it down for to use for stuff. In from the,
0: like,
1: ethical standpoint, not just like the impact it has, but like, I um, mean, like from the emotional Animal
2: agriculture, spectrum. which animal
0: agriculture is one of the main reasons for deforestation. But, I mean, I don't think you can entirely be karma-free in this world like that. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's... It's like there's red blood cells in our body killing bacteria right now. And murderers, you know, happens in the micro to the macro. There's like black holes swallowing parts of the universe. All animals
1: stuff. are awful to each other. Just how it is. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, these we're trying to keep this endangered species that would take our head off if it had the chance. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, the universe is going to be merciless in that way
1: so shouldn't we be merciless
0: um well we got to think about our future generations and and all those kind of things but i mean i don't think you can you know it is interesting though how how plants and like the trees and these old growth forests they have such an ecosystem going uh, that when they try to like in parts where they try to just plant koa trees it doesn't work as well because the diversity is part of it these these trees are actually sharing, um, between themselves, the carbon, the nitrogen and all of the minerals that's going through, um, the fungus underlay. But, um, when you try to kind of manufacture that, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well, but it's, it was, it was amazing. This is the last radio lab. I think it was called from, from tree to shining Mm -hmm. tree. And, um, it kind of sent me off kind of like researching some different stuff that was pretty amazing.
1: I think I heard about someone else, another podcast relaying it. And then even to like, um, they d- they studied like plants in a room with just Wi-Fi routers compared to oh, yeah. ones that were near it. And it totally like messed them up. Like they they grew at right. like a fraction of the rate and they just weren't thriving as well as ones that were cut off from it was, that.
0: It was messing with their signal points. yeah just uh-huh.
1: like the signals and stuff it's it interferes
0: like just like you know did
1: you expect b- to be recording bees right? and yeah, it's recording bats and stuff
2: no.
0: uh, what else what else is that is that a good roundup of the basics
1: yeah I mean we can go through like a few troubleshooting things if they're having like a specific like I um, well, I got an email today. Someone was asking, um, they said that uh, all the other strings are fine, but they, uh, the C string was, kept going flat when they would try to tune it up. they tune it up, and about five minutes later, it'd be flat a little bit. Um, in that case, they had gotten that from us, and what I basically explained to them was sometimes when we're setting these up, we only... we have to replace some strings but if there's only one string that's broken or one string that's unbalanced we're going to replace the one string so in a case where everything is fine except for the one string say it's going flat it's rarely that the tuner is slipping or unless um, you know it was tied in incorrectly where the string is slipping out of the post it's usually just the string stretching and some strings like a keyless take a really long time to stretch because they're really flexible denser strings or heavier nylon strings won't stretch as much but um, it doesn't so, necessarily mean it's a mechanical issue with a tuner or anything. It's just the string stretching and
0: Sometimes you we've replaced that particular string.
1: Yeah as I'm saying so we Can when we have to make replacements It doesn't mean we're gonna replace the whole set where they would be stretching evenly It might just be one string And we do stretch it out a bit here, but it can take a long time for it to really settle in so if only one is going flat that's usually the case, and it just means, you know, you could do some light manual stretching on it to speed it up, or you could just, you know, keep diligently tuning it up, and it'll eventually settle in. But you'll see the, if the tuners are ever slipping, you should be able to see the post turning as, you know, you put tension on it. If it's backing up opposite of the way you're tuning it up, that means it's not holding tune, but it's that's a lot more rare.
0: Yeah, I mean... Uh... Yeah, I mean sometimes on friction tuners when they get to us we have to do that. But then yeah. for it to be doing that by the time it gets to a customer, that's with a customer right? or um, I'd, I'd say or then, like with a gear yeah. tuner.
1: But yeah, if it's a friction well, with tuner, with a gear tuner, that's like that's, even more that's, rare. That's, you know?
0: Yeah, but um yeah, even uh, even if it wasn't that that one string was just replaced, um, sometimes it's just like one string takes a little bit longer, mm-hmm. and um, couple of weeks or so should be pretty well settled in to where you're not you know tuning you should be able to get through a song without having to tune it up at yeah. least you know and I mean most of the time, you're still gonna like grab it out of its case and need some tweaks here and there
1: mm-hmm. and I mean just expect to tune it up every time you're playing it and in between songs or every couple songs or something I mean that's everybody does that
0: um with uh pickups sometimes you know, people develop buzzes. Uh, you know, maybe it's been a year or something and it's just like things have moved around in there. Um, sometimes often, well, you know, not that often, but it's not that uncommon to have the end jack, um, or the nut inside the end jack. Um, as it settles in, sometimes the wood shrinks a little bit. Um, if you, if you kind of knock at it right here and you hear that rattle sound, a lot of times what you have to do is you have to loosen that, um, pull it back out and then adjust those inner threads to, um, put it a little bit further back this way so that you can tighten it more. I mean, sometimes you can just tighten it more from here, but sometimes you have to actually move the threads on the inside to adjust for that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's you know as if, if you're if you're more willing to go for it um uh, sometimes just wires on the inside have moved um touching with, the body yeah touching the body uh some of the some of the models that are installed by uh, factories actually mount the wires to the top even and sometimes they can touch the top and so when you hit certain uh, Frequencies, it'll vibrate the top more and then it's going to rattle those if you can get in there and kind of pull the wires away from each other um, This is getting into the realm where you might want to go see somebody at a guitar store, you know, or, probably you know a, a, a Reliable technician that can, can troubleshoot get,
1: it. I get frustrated even just it's such a small Instrument trying to get your hand in there or get tools and light to work around with it. I get frustrated with it too sometimes so I if it's at that point, then yeah, maybe you should take it to a shop because you'll probably
0: yeah just get furious. You'll be able to get in there with you know the right um, mirrors and lights yeah. and it's not a big tools. deal. It's just yeah. it's just a pain to work in there
1: if you don't yeah. have the right tools and lighting and mirrors and all that kind of stuff. Right.
2: Well, what's the action on that?
0: You just did a full setup on it, right? <sighs> you sanded the saddle with uh with your leg block.
1: Someone's stealing my tools.
2: <laughs> Dude, you didn't move from that spot. Oh, I know, so I know. That's what I think. Oh.
1: Didn't even feel it.
0: What's <laughs> that? Rock hard butt
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Just squats all day. Um this one's right at uh like three millimeters. At 3 Mm-hmm. See, at
2: three millimeter, I thought that was comfortable. It yeah, is. It
1: feels, feels good. There is no buzzing. That's, and that's uh, usually what, like, they <laughs> they set these up at. Around three. Most people just, they want it, they get used to it playing lowers. Cause like, I mean, if you don't, if you don't have decent, I mean, not decent to be insulting, but I mean, if you don't have as much hand strength, strength you're not used to it, then, you know, playing like bar chords up here and stuff is going to be uncomfortable. And not used to it, but um, like I don't know. I guess growing up, I got used to playing yeah. with instruments that weren't set up at
2: all. So, so wh- where would you start saying that it, it's it's reached the high action? I mean, like right right about
1: there. Like above that, then you're kind of getting to the point because I mean, like like the fractions of a millimeter make a difference. So going up from that, it's gonna feel. I think for but, most but people, that's it's a, it's a relative big.
0: thing. there's not like, yeah. okay, this is high action. This is low. well like for I mean, if you, you. Got that's four not high mean, action. Like if you
2: have something that's four, someone shouldn't be playing yeah, something that's four, right? Right. So, no, so what yeah. is ridiculous and not? You know, where does it like really going upwards from here? You're
1: also running the risk of the intonation getting out of whack more and more. Like you know, three point two, three. You know, going up from there. Like as you're fretting it, it's more of a distance putting more the the string is more taut so when you and there's a bigger distance that you have to press down to fret it so it's kind of doing the same thing like when the nut is too high you're kind of doing like a little micro bend Mm. and that's going to alter the intonation because intonation is set in the scale length from the saddle to the nut and if or like that's like the i heard some call like that's like the speaking length of the string so this is what is doing this is the business section of the string
0: <laughs> the party is in the
1: back <laughs> yeah so so like imagine like these are both super high and i have to play a fret as i'm pressing it down it's getting harder and harder because the string only has a certain amount of flexibility
2: right.
1: a flexible string with really high action is going to be the one that's going to go out of whack the most mm. if it's a really dense string that isn't as flexible you can get away with you can get away with slightly higher action without as many intonation problems because the string isn't going to compromise and bend as much so that is gonna be harder to play yeah it's like it's a whole there's so many variables between like the size of the instrument the strings that you're using the neck angle and the height of everything that's why this is just like for the basics like right you just want it to feel good and function and enjoy playing it but getting down into the like the detail the stuff that we put them through when we're doing the setup to try to cover all of those bases and be familiar with all the different instruments and string types and everything to take that into account when you're doing the setup that's just something that comes with right getting in to, and learning all of these things
0: and making mistakes and learning from it we bring a lot of experience to the table and um, are, are glad to be able to do what we do and offer it to the community and uh, it can be it can be kind of frustrating at times trying to get things perfect when um, you know we didn't make them from the beginning or anything we're dealing with what we're getting but, uh, you know, we end up rejecting a lot of use and, you know, kind of go into bat for you um, to first uh, accept it in, in our quality control stage and then improve it with all of these sort of processes. Um, so we really appreciate your guys support and um, we're, we're lucky to have a, a really great team. All of our guys really do care yep. a lot. And um, we're here for you. Zach is answering emails for about half or a little more than that of every day. Just, you know, helping people with these sort of issues. So how you been, Zach? Rocking out? Yeah, I'm good. We're about to go to the show tonight. We got a show oh. on their spooky couch.
2: Sweet. I just put up a band camp, recorded us live with your gear, that stuff. Thank you for letting me use that gear. Yeah, man. Same, same stuff as the podcast. I got to use for recording some music. You got to have
0: somebody there working levels, though. You're just, like, just going for it.
2: Yeah, it was just but a live, it was just a live recording. So, I mean, it was just yeah. set and play yeah. it. But it's fun, you know, finally get to play some original music. Yeah, you music guys have some
0: awesome songs. Thanks. Looking forward to the evolution of that band.
2: Yeah. Oh, we're going to open up for Animal Collective on Monday. Sweet. For those of you who don't know Animal Collective. Um, what is that? Is that, that Republic? S- yep. Pretty psychedelic music. I don't think they ever use ukulele in any of their songs, but you know they're pretty cool.
0: Other than that, they're cool. <laughs> yeah. Other than, other than that, just blowing
2: it. Yeah. Oh, shoot. That's like some of kombucha. kombucha? Uh, That's what i has just been up to. Ginger kombucha.
0: I'm gonna record uh, Ron Artis here in a few minutes.
2: Oh yeah. So I get ready for that.
0: We'll see you guys next week.
2: Sh- Sh- shoots. Shoots. chutes, Sister, brother. Motherfucker. <laughs>